Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, we've got a very special guest, and we thought we would do something a little bit different. And we're going through a phase of bringing some industry experts into the podcasts to share their industry experience on how they can help you. And I'm really excited today that we've got Pinder Dallywell from Falcon Insurance. Pinder, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for inviting me along, Joe. Very much appreciate it. No problem. Okay, so Pinder, you know, and um, we're going to talk a little bit on why it's really important to get the right insurance product for your HMO portfolio, for your rent-to-rent portfolio, for your buy-to-let portfolio, etc. Because very often this is a topic that's overlooked, and sometimes to the detriment of the landlord and the owners. And I know that I've known you for quite a while on social media and I've heard your stories and seen some of the case studies that you've shared with us and some of them are quite hair raising. But before we go into all of that, can you just tell our listeners a bit about yourself, what it is that sort of led you up to um, bringing Falcon Insurance out into the industry? Um, well, I've been in the insurance industry for the last 30 years um notice like you know um there's a lot of people chatting about insurance um, giving advice etc etc i thought you know well all of the advice that these guys are getting is completely wrong completely fictitious so you know they, they, they do it from their own experiences of what they understand of the industry so uh i thought nah, let's try to start sharing some of my experience like you know with some of these guys online Okay, so when you said you've been in the industry for quite some time, has that been specific just to property or has that been like a broker for all things insurance? No, broker for all things insurance. I started off with a small insurance broker um, when I grew up in Slough. Um, went on to work for quite a few of the large national corporates and then decided about 10 years ago to open up my own. Okay, and great, you know, and you've done that and, you, and you're out there now helping a lot of people. And I think you're kind of, um, people recommend you as the go-to insurance person for property now, don't they? Yeah, I, I, get, I get a lot of recommendations from a lot of uh, our sort of uh, very kind customers, like, you know, uh, who, uh, who appreciate the advice that we give them. Good. And you do a lot of good networking as well. I have seen you out on the networking field quite a lot. In fact, I think you came to one of my HMO Discovery Days, I don't know, four years ago, maybe longer than that. Yeah, about three, four years ago. Yeah, like um, I came all the way up to Worcester um, to some lovely location. I can't remember the name of it now. I'd like to know, but uh, yeah, it's a great little location. It was the, um, the Swan Hotel, I think. I think that's where we're yeah. there anyway. So, so Pim, did you have your own property portfolio as well? I've got three small buy-to-lets myself, um, single buy-to-lets, which I've had for a number of years whilst when I moved up here to Birmingham. Um, they were cheap enough to buy back then. And I, I'm, you know, straightforward single buy-to-lets. Nice, easy. Nice and easy to run. Nice vanilla. Nice and easy to run, yes. Yeah, most of my uh, tenants have been, well, two of my tenants have been in there for six, seven years plus. Yeah, you find that with single lets, you know, we've got single lets that we've bought and inherited tenants that have been there for like 17, 18 years. And I think sometimes when it happens like that, it's really great. You can set and forget. And, you know, I think those tenants are probably going to stay there forever, if I'm completely honest. So, Pinder, um, let's talk about insurance then. So, I mean, I've got a few questions here and I've taken these from uh, the Facebook community groups and things that people are asking all of the time. And mm -hmm. I don't think any of these are going to come to a, a shock to you because you probably heard it all and advised on most of it anyway. So, the first question is, what are the most common mistakes that people make when it comes to insuring their properties? Some of the most common mistakes is getting, one, the tenancy type wrong. 
Um, the second, the rebuild costs. Um, a lot of people we've seen are insuring properties for what they actually purchased them for. So the further up north you go, uh, the problem gets even worse and worse, where property is very, very cheap, 30, 40, 50,000 pounds for a three bedroom semi-detached house or a terraced house. Well, the cost of a brick is a pound, whether you buy it from Birmingham or whether you buy it, you know, right up north. Um, so the rebuild cost of these properties, like, you know, can be quite, you know, ranging. Like, you know, so you've got a guy um, insuring a three bedroom house here in Birmingham, rebuild cost will be probably about 150,000. Whereas they may have bought the house up, up north somewhere for 50,000 pounds and that's what they've insured it for. So they are leaving themselves very much exposed, like, you know, losing, you know, um, quite a valuable asset. How would they get that value, Pinder? So when you put the insurance reports in, when somebody um, applies for a new policy, how do they know what the rebuild value is going to be without simply guessing? Well, if they buy it on a mortgage, um, the surveyor will always um, include a reinstatement value, which is what people have got to watch out for. Um, so the reinstatement market value may well be three times what you've bought the property for. Um, I mean, the biggest one I had, the biggest disparity was on a commercial property, which a gentleman bought for 650000 um, which was an old mark grade to cinema. Um, and it turned out the rebuild cost on this on this place was nearly five million pounds. Wow! So you, you, there's there's tools online, especially for residential properties. Um, you can put, you know uh, calculate the rebuild cost of my property if you part that type that into the, into Google. Um, there's a couple of calculators that'll come up. You just need to put in the dimensions of the property, where it is, location, because obviously uh, rebuild costs will vary um, as far as labour costs out, you know, inside London and outside of London. And is it always um, going to be more, Pinder? Is the rebuild cost always going to be more than the property has been purchased for? Is that how it works? Not always. No, 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 no. Uh, quite, quite the opposite. Um, anything, it, the further north you go, you know, further from uh, Birmingham, uh, then the rebuild cost way may could well be three, four, five times what you've actually purchased the property for. Mm. You know, whereas if you go back in towards London, um, you know, where, where property prices are extremely expensive, like, you know, so um, you may well buy a house down there for a million pounds, but you know, the, the rebuild cost may well be only 400,000. Mm. So you need to get that element right. Now, worst case scenario, if they put that wrong figure down on that insurance form um, and there's going to be um, a massive gap, I guess, and then it's up to the owner to, you know, to find that cash. It, it will be. Uh, nine times out of 10, most policies have a, what is called a, um, an under insurance clause, um, which basically means like, you know, the insurers like, you know, will look at what the, the reinstatement cost of the building should have been. So, so for instance, um, let's say the re reinstatement cost should have been a hundred thousand. Um, you've only insured it for 50,000. Now you're underinsured by 50%. So, Whilst you have covered for 50,000, the insurers are within their rights to then reduce the 50,000 that they're paying out to you by 50%. So oh, wow. you could end up with a core payout of only 25,000. So you may have a pile of ash that you're, uh, which, you're, which you now own um, and may have a mortgage on it, which you still are obliged to pay because your lender will, will foreclose. What, what, I mean, have you seen this happen? Is, it, is this the reality of it or is this worst case scenario? 
No, we've seen this happen. We've seen this happen many a times where especially commercial, large commercial properties have been valued, say, probably 10, 15 years ago. Um, they've carried on insuring them for the same amounts, come to us and said, like, I want to insure this building. Well, we're not, we're not surveyors or, you know, or reinstatement quantity surveyors. Um, You've got so to take it on face take, value, I guess. We have to take it on face value. What, you know, what you've, you know, you've taken, done enough due diligence to uh, make sure that, you know, your reinstatement cost is right. So um, whilst, you know, the fire may not be your fault, uh, you know, just last year, I think it's about July time, we insured a unit for a client uh, in the commercial industrial estates. It was the unit next door that had the fire, right? And the fire spread into his unit and it transpired. He was about 60% underinsured. Oh, dear. I think that's so, more common, you know, than, than people make out. I think sometimes, do you th how do you find it? Do you think people are driven towards price rather than the, the policy, having the right policy? Yeah, but unfortunately, you know, in this day and age, you know, with the onslaught sort of um, online engines, um, people are very much price focused. Oh, I can get it cheaper. I can get it cheaper. But unfortunately, don't read all the nitty gritty about, you know, what could go wrong if I've got this wrong? There's no one there to advise them. So, you know, you're completely reliant on the information that you've input, right, to make sure that you've got the right cover. And the thing is with property investing, sometimes the strategies that we use are a little bit, you know, a bit out there, I suppose, and not the norm. And if you're trying to do that on a, a computer platform, rather than talking to somebody like yourself, Pinder, who can understand the strategy and find the right policy for it, then it's, mm. it's going to be an impossible task to do it on the computer. Then they're going to get the wrong insurance. And then, you know, back to, as we were just saying before, having the complete wrong product. Yeah, I mean, we we see it time and time again. You know, uh, a lot of people, you know, where um, they're uh, doing rent to rent. You know, the landlords, you know, quite rightly thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm renting my property out to another landlord, um, and he's taking out the wrong cover himself. So, you know, the the guy who's actually taken on the rent to rent agreement, you know, if there is a disaster situation, you know, they're both scuppered. Mm. Okay, well, that's interesting. It leads us on lovely into the rent to rent. So let's talk about that a little bit. So rent to rent, um, you know, you don't own the property. And as far as I know, and my limited knowledge of insurance, you can't insure a property you don't own. So is there anything that people can do rent to renters? Is there any policy they can get that's going to be um, something similar, i.e. is there anything we can do on rent insurance, etc.? Yes, there is. Um, we recently got a new policy in, uh, together uh, about four or five months ago um, where you as the rent-to-rent -rent operator may have spent 40, 50, 60,000 pounds on you know, uh, improving the property, spending all this money on a new kitchen, new doors, etc., etc. Um, so th th those, like on a commercial policy, would be called tenant improvements. Yeah. Um, so you actually can insure against all of that. Whereas, you know, the, the guy who you rented the house from, his policy may not want to cover all the, the tenant improvements, except, or his policy now may all be outdated because the number of improvements you've done to the property. Right. So you're, you're insuring the tenant improvements. What about the rent levels, Pindo? Is there anything that you can do? Because yeah, no, so you'll get your, 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 you'll get your own property owner's liability cover uh, under, under the policy. Yeah. And you also get uh, loss of rent cover as well. So 
if there is a fire, right, um, or you know, a large escape of water, or, or a situation where the property is made uninhabitable, yeah, yeah, you will get loss of rent cover, or alternative um, accommodation whilst your tenants are being housed elsewhere. So you may well take on another unit so you can quickly get them housed. So we have an income kit coming in. So you're not left out of pocket because your obligations still have to be met with your landlord. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to give you a scenario here. So this is real. This happened to me Uh, Christmas time. It was uh, pre Christmas week. It was in Worcester city center and it was what we call our Christmas fair week. So no hotels available, really, really busy. It was uh, about 4 PM on a Sunday and I got called out to a rent to rent property that we've managed now for probably five years or more. And the trains were blocked. Now there were 12 ensuite rooms, no communal bathrooms upstairs. And we were having massive problems with the drains downstairs in the building below. We had to dig uh, into the concrete floor to expose the the drains because we couldn't find them. And when we did find them, we called out Diana Rod. They came out, scratched their head, turned around and said, far too walked off. And then I'm in a position now where I've got 12 tenants fully occupied Christmas week that have got no water because we've had to turn the water off because the drains were coming up through the floorboards with foul waste. And I'm thinking here, oh my God, I'm going to have to put these tenants into alternative accommodation if I can find it. I'm going to have to pay for their traveling there and their traveling to work the next day plus food. Mm-hmm. Could I get anything for that? I mean, as it happens, Pinder, we managed to clear the drains. It cost a lot of money. Um, we got a specialist out. They were there, you know, working well into the evening. So we didn't have to. But all these thoughts were going through my mind. Currently, we have no policy. For that. Is that something we could get? Yes, it is. Like you know, under, under, under the policy that we have, it, it, it covers uh, H, um, rent to rent, service accommodation, and Airbnb. So same sort of scenario: drains blocked. Properties become uninhabitable. We need to get people um, moved to, uh, to alternative accommodation. Now, the actual the event of the drain may not be covered. It depends on the circumstances of why that drain was covered. We yeah. charged that back, actually, because it wasn't our property. So we charged that back to the owner. So that was all. In fact, you know, it didn't cost me anything, but it could have been so very different. Now, you mentioned that we could get um, tenant rent cover as well included in this policy. Is it capped? Uh, it's capped at um, whatever you actually advise us of. So, like, if you, you know, um, if you're saying it's fifty thousand pound a year, which rent the rental income for that property, we will co- we will then cover you for fifty thousand pounds. Right. Okay. And what are the circumstances in which we can claim that? Is it going to be over a period of time that they haven't paid you? No, no, no. This, 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 isn't, this isn't rent guarantee. This is the, this is loss of rent cover. Oh, right? okay. In the event of the property, like no. So, um, time and time again, I've seen on Facebook um, and on the chapter, um, um, on the groups, etc., where say there's been a fire in the kitchen. The yeah. tenants now can't use the tenants can't use the facilities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, landlords are blaming tenants, like you know, while well, you've left a chip pan on. Well, these these unfortunately these sort of incidents do happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. tenants now are saying, well, you need to get the kitchen put right, um, otherwise we're going to stop paying our rent, or we're going to need to, or, or you need to rehouse us. Okay, I'm with you. So it's not specifically for non-payment of rent; it's loss of rent because of it's a loss of rent. Like okay. the, the 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 rent guarantee scenario on rent rent to rent. This, which is another scenario that we're actually speaking to another provider, um, so we can actually get the rent rent. So the rent guarantee for non-payment of rent from tenants. 
Right, awesome. Which and, currently isn't available for HMO products We're on rent to rent Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not very often we can get anything covered on rent to rent And it's really nice to see that there are things now coming into the market. And is this because insurance providers, they've seen a shift, they've seen that people are doing more strategic ways of obtaining property now? Or has it always been there, but we just didn't know where to look? No, it's, no the, the insurers are now slowly coming out of the dark ages and, you know, understanding now, like, you know, you know, I've been banging the drum and along with, you know, a few other brokers, you know, who, who, you know, are pretty diligent about what they do as well. You know, about that strategies are now changing. You know, it ain't the old, you know, you know, single let uh, model anymore. You know, people want, you know, the um, higher returns on investment. So therefore, strategies are changing on how, on how these properties are being being let. So they now need to sort of rethink, you know, their own strategy and you know on how to deliver these insurance products. But unfortunately, online, you know, online. Um, um, portfolios, etc., are unable to um, accommodate unless you know people start putting big investment into their online systems to change the question sets and and what they need to understand from the landlord of how the property is being let. Pindu, in my experience, and we have made some claims in the past, and we have made some quite large claims, but in my own experience, you know, it doesn't matter how much you pay for your policy or how much you're insured for, because they do their damnedest to try and get out of paying you anyway. Is that just my experience, or is that really what they do? <laughs> the, the, the loss adjuster, right, that's there, is there to mitigate the insurer's loss. Yeah? Mm. So, therefore, he wants to pay out as little as possible as he possibly can. Do they get paid commission? No, they don't. They 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 they, pay, they get paid flat fees, like you know, uh, for for the work that's involved in in settling that claim, right? There's you know, uh, if there is commission paid, we are on we are completely unaware of it. But as far as I understand, um, they are paid a flat fee, right, for um, settling the claim as cheaply as they possibly can. Okay. Um, they have to justify what costs are being paid uh, and whether the policy conditions. Um, will cover it. Now we, we you know whilst we manage our own claims in, in in house, we can't be at every single claim situation. So we do farm out of our claims to uh, independent loss assessors, right? Mm-hmm. So who will then come out and act on your behalf and make sure that you are covered and you get a fair payout for your claim. Right. They I mean, will then pay, they will then charge a commission on um, what, whatever's paid out to you. Right. Okay. I mean, the situation I'm talking about is a few years ago, uh, one of the pubs that we owned at that time, um, the landlords, they basically ripped it apart purposely. It was malicious damage. So we couldn't trade. They took all the light fittings off the walls. They fused the, the, bo- the, uh, the fuse board. They ripped the wallpaper. They did as much damage as they possibly could. And the insurance company tried their very, very best not to pay us. So we employed a consultant to come out and um, the consultant then basically helped us get the, the claim over the line. And we did, we got a payout in the end. It wasn't quite as much as we wanted because we agreed that they just paid us a lump sum rather than us having to do the work and then, then paying us in installments. But it was quite a stressful period for us. So, and I think we, you know, we did have the correct product, it was just that they didn't want to pay us. It was a big chunk, it was about 70,000 pound payment that we got from them in the end. I've got some common myths, Pinder, and um, these are the things that people are asking, people that do give the wrong advice you know, on social media and what have you. And I've just kind of like harvested them and I put them here. So the first one is um, you can't get rent to rent insurance. Well, we've covered that. Yeah, we can. Um, the next one is 
you can only insure to tenants that are over 18. Is that correct? For tenants that are over 18? Mm. Um, so the building... Depend, depends on the scenario where it's how it's being rented. Like, you know, so we, we, we do a lot of uh, supported accommodation for vulnerable adults and young children. Right, so um, those scenarios um, are different as far because they know it's going to be under a supervised situation. Yeah. Mm. Now, um, rent to rent, uh, sorry, the rent guarantee products. Some of them are yes, under 18s they won't cover. But if you take on a 16 or a 17 um, year old tenant, who, you know, you know, decide the park company with their parents, etc then yes, you will be covered, all right? There's no, there's no stipulations on the policy to say under-18s won't be covered. Right, okay. Well, that's a good myth buster. The next one is that you have to have an AST contract that is six months or longer. Um, the insurers expect you to do your due diligence, right? Uh, and policies are written that you do have a, um, a tenancy agreement with the, with the, with the tenant um, at the time that you've taken the tenant on. So at the time, yes, you may have a six month AST with them, but if, you know, quite often, you know, um, we see these things that have gone on to then rolling co contracts mm. and, and a, new, a new AST hasn't been signed. And yes, claims have arisen, but they have been paid because you originally had an AST with them. Okay. The next one is you can only get up to £5,000 malicious damage cover typically. No. No, I mean, a lot of the policies are very restricted. They either exclude malicious damage cover uh, or it's, ve it's very limited in, what, in the form or, or shape that it's given. So two and a half, five thousand, um, typically in and around five thousand. But the a lot of the policies that we have, we will include malicious damage cover up to the building sum insured. Right. OK, so if a tenant does set fire to the house, you will get all your money back. That's right. Okay, I think that was a bit of a myth going on quite quite a while ago um, that kind of was just filtered out. And I know that I think you actually shared it. One of your clients, won't name any names, probably about four years ago, had their property set on fire and they didn't have full damage cover. And I think they were um, only insured to £5,000. That's just probably where that's come from. So yeah, that's, on. That, that, that was exactly where it came from. Uh, you know, um, the, the tenant, you know, sorry, the tenant had like, you know, uh, decided like, you know, life wasn't worth living hmm. um, what, and just set fire to the property. Um, unfortunately, to the landlord's detriment, they found out that the policy was limited to £5,000. Mm -hmm. The damage caused by the fire was... In or around about 20,000, but the damage caused by the water, because it was an upstairs floor um, with all the water damage, it increased the total damage to just under 70,000. Goodness me. Pender, what happens in the, in the situation where it's a flat like that, for example? So if you've got a, mid, a, mid, uh, a flat on the, on the second floor out of maybe three or four, would your policy cover you for damage above and below? It, it, if it's a purpose-built flats and it's like, uh, and the freeholder owns the freehold, then the, the property should have been covered um, in its entirety. Um, so yes, if the property uh, is malicious, if it's deliberate malicious damage, um, you could well be very much out of pocket. So whose door would I be knocking on then? So I've got the bottom flat. 
person in the middle flat decides to set fire to the property, which then damages my flat. Am I knocking on the landlord's door, the freeholder's door? The freeholder's door. The freeholder's he, door. The freeholder then should have taken out adequate cover to make sure that building was um, covered if, adequately. If they haven't? If they... You, 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 your, yours, in a block of flats, your property would probably be owned on a... 25 50 year 100 100 year lease and so would the property be above right mm -hmm. the property in the middle if it's been started deliberately well that will have repercussions the properties below and up and, and above um the, the insured peril as far as they're concerned concerned is fire so mm -hmm. they would be covered yeah yes they would be covered but the property in the middle if it's you know uh being let by uh, an agent, etc., and the malicious damage cover is then limited, right? Whoever owns that property will probably be up the swanny without a puddle. Mm. Is there a pot pinder that people can draw on in the event of other people not having the correct insurance and then subsequently costing them money? Um, for motor insurance which is which is a legal requirement right um there is a pot uh, for which is at the mib motor insurers bureau yeah um which you can draw down for personal injury claims etc mm -hmm. and, and, and some damage but in There's, the property industry is there anything similar there, there isn't no. there isn't no okay okay interesting the next one i've got on here then pinder is um i well i kind of got a question that says have you got any examples of when it goes wrong we've covered a couple of those so you mentioned earlier about serviced accommodation insurance so there is a specific product now for that yes there is like you know, so uh, you know if you've got uh, uh, rooms rented on airbnb uh, or flats are rented by airbnb you know we've we, we, we just covered um several flats within a block of uh, a few dozen flats um which are all um rented out for serviced accommodation so you know um if there's a fire, they're they're unlettable, etc. As long as we can prove a history of how often they were let for and what the average rent is, we can we can get the loss of rent, etc. And everything all covered for them. Malicious damage to um to the apartments or goods in, within. Yeah, so it covers for the contents as well. It does, so, yeah. I mean, we spoke about the cheapest policy, and I have got a note here to say, you know, do people try and get the cheapest policy? And I think we've covered that, and I think very often people do, they are price-led. So what's the claim process then, Pinder? So, you know, just to talk people through it that's never really made a claim before. So, for example, scenario, I'm a landlord, I, one of my tenants is, I don't know, they've trashed the kitchen because uh, I tried to evict them and they didn't want to go, so they've just destroyed the house. What do I do from that point? So I open the door, I see it's a mess. Talk me through the process. Okay. You see the mess. First thing you want to do is take plenty of pictures. Plenty of pictures so we've got evidence of the loss uh, at the time. The police must be called uh, if it's a malicious damage claim and you must obtain a police uh, crime reference number. Next thing to do is get us involved or your broker involved as you soon as you possibly can. Uh, a lot of brokers, you know, a lot, especially with the online um, um, brokers, like, you know, which don't have specific staff that will deal with claims, will then direct you to the insurer's claim line help number, which then you unfortunately will have to deal with the insurers directly. Um, brokers uh, who will deal with uh, bespoke policies like ourselves, you know, we have our own dedicated uh, claims handler here who will liaise between you 
and the insurance company and get someone out there as soon as we possibly can. And does the landlord have to be at the property when the inspector goes out? It's, probably, it's, it's, it's always best practice for the landlord to be there. Um, not necessarily, you know, we, we, you know like you, you, you've used yourself in, in the past, you know, you can, you can appoint loss assessors to uh, deal with the claim on your behalf. Um, whilst we would like to be at, you know, the in, in attendance ourselves at most claims, um, it's physically impossible for us to be, you know, all over the, the country to try and help individuals with their in that period of time. Mm. Um, so yes, you need to get it into us, get pictures into us, um, and, and, and most importantly, make sure all your documentation is up to date as far as um, electrical certificates are, uh, are concerned, if required. You know, whilst you know, for a single let, they're not actually required, um, it's always best practice to have them in place. Um, gas certificates, your rental agreements and uh, any other documents that to prove that you're trading lawfully yeah that you're trading lawfully that you've been visiting the property if, if, if that's you, you've got a lot of the a lot of the insurers require you to have made at least a visit um on a six-month contract so you know you, you've rented it three months in, in, into the contract you've at least visited the property once you know just to ensure that it's not turned into a cannabis farm yeah, we, <laughs> which takes us on a whole new level. Um, <laughs> I suppose in that, you know, if they turn it into a cannabis farm, there's very unlikely you're going to get a payout on the insurance anyway. Um, so, so at that point then, Pinder, so we've got to the point where we're taking photos, uh, they've come out, they've inspected the property. Can the landlord then at that point start to do the work, even though they've not been paid yet, but very much, you know, aware that they're going to be out of pocket unless they start getting the property up and running again? Where does that point lie? Okay. Now, once you know um, the, the the loss adjusters, etc., have all been out, photographs have been exchanged, you know, and, and and moving forward, it's always best practice to try and mitigate your losses. So, you know, we've seen time and time again, landlords just sat there, sat there, sat. You know, even for a broken back door, right? Mm. You know, they've waited for um, a payout from um, the insurers, and then you know, it, it may well be two months down the road before a check arrives on the, or, you know, on, the, or, on your doorstep and then saying, well, I want to now claim for my loss of rent. Well, unfortunately, you know, on smaller claims like that, like, you know, the insurers will pay a percentage of a loss of rent cover, but they expect... Proportionate to the damage that's been caused. Proportionate to the damage that's been caused. So if you're renting that property for £1,000 a month and the back door was £500, you know, and you've, you've left it two months, you won't get the £2,000 loss of rent yeah. cover. Yeah. And yeah. typically, Pinder, how long does it take for an, I mean, does it, does it differ on every single claim? How long does it take to get paid? It, it very much differs on the, on, on the claim. Um, and we, we, we've, we, we've seen claims settled in literally five or six weeks. Everything's paid, done and dusted. Whether, you know, the landlord's happy to take a, um, a settlement figure, right, and we'll get the works done ourselves. Um, but we've said, then, we, then, then again, we've seen claims that have lasted 12 13 months pinder i think there's a lot of um you know people kind of think that when an insurance company come back and make you an offer they're going to start very low is that always the case or do they just you know do they do they pitch it have they got a sliding scale is it based on their own opinion how does that work a lot of these insurers are using rates that they would normally be accustomed to paying um 
for an average job to be done. A lot of these insurers are now appointing, you know, uh, their own um, claims um, management people who will go in and try and get the job done as quickly as possibly they possibly as they can. Is Sorry? Is there any room for negotiation on them or is it? Oh yes, massive, massive, massive. Yeah. You know, we, we, we had a situation where a downstairs toilet is flooded overnight. The whole of, down, you know, whole of the downstairs is all uh, laminate, laminate flooring in one piece. There's no breaks or door bars between the, a couple of the rooms. They came in, they came in, made the, uh, the tenant, uh, landlord was there and said, right, okay, well, we can get this work done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for 1,500 pounds. Right, okay, that's fine. No problem. Fifteen hundred pound downstairs loo. You think not too bad. Mm. However, all this laminate wood flooring, the, the water has gone right the way out the toilet room, into the sitting into, into the sitting room as well. Mm-hmm. So the total cost of the claim, when we got our own loss adjuster involved, was nearly seven thousand pounds. Mm. The removal of all the um, uh, the laminate, the flooring, etc., and all the underlay, and then to de- you know de- um, get dehumidifiers in to dry the place out. So, you know, the worst thing you can do is you know you, you're in the game yourself. You know, is to put wooden flooring back over wet floors. Yeah. Right. So seven thousand pounds, and the insurers, yep, we justified the claim. We had another person, another loss adjuster, come out and said, right, you know, we'll, we'll like to review it. We reviewed it client got paid good excellent some really good case studies there and i think it keeps it real doesn't it i think the moral of all of this is you know folks the people that are listening here is have a person like pinder pinder's a property specialist as well you know so he understands the industry understands the needs and the wants of everybody but i think the underlying message is don't go cheap and make sure that you disclose everything to your broker because if you don't disclose it then very often probably you're going to get the wrong product, which means you may not be insured moving forwards. Do you think that's good advice, Pinder? It certainly is. It certainly is. I mean, like you know, buying a house is a very large investment. You know, you know, then probably the largest asset that a lot of people will own. You know, renting property nowadays isn't easy anyway, right? With the removal of Section Twenty Ones and all the um, the tax loopholes, etc. People yeah, need so much. Isn't yes. There's so much thrown at the PRS right now. Yeah, it certainly is. But the last thing you want to do is make sure you get your insurance wrong. Yeah. You know, you, know, you don't want to be the landlord of a pile of ashes. Yeah. And I know that people, you know, when you're taking out a mortgage and upon exchange, you've got to provide a, a certificate to say that you've got insurance. And you know what? You can go online and you could get that within 30 seconds. Well, probably a little bit longer, you know, three or four minutes, you could get that certificate. It appeases the lender. It doesn't mean, folks, that it's the right policy. So make sure that you pre-plan for all of this, get all of your ducks in a row, because it is a massive investment. And if it goes wrong, then it's only going to be you that is responsible for picking up the pieces pinder it's been an absolutely informative podcast it's been really good and i've learned a few things as well if the listeners want to contact you what is the best way for them to do that they can either go online fill in one of our contact forms at uh, www.falconinsurance.co.uk or more than happy for them to call into our offices on 0121 679-7265. Fantastic. So folks, if you need to contact Pinder, even if it's just for advice, making sure you've got the right policies or making sure that at least upon renewal, you have the right advice to guide you, then Pinder's just left the details there. Pinder, it's been an awesome podcast and thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. No problem.
So folks, that is the end of today's podcast. Hope you found that really useful. And again, if you need to contact me for anything, my email address is rick.gannon at yahoo.co.uk or you can tag me in into the HMO and property community group with any questions that you might have regarding HMOs or property in general. See you on the next podcast.